Hello and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast, Season 1, Episode 1. My name is Laura Boyle and I'm going to be your host. So, today we're going to do a Polyamory 101, a sort of what is polyamory and the history of polyamory. So, when I was getting ready for this episode... I've been recording much of season one with a lot of really interesting people. And one question that I asked pretty much everyone as I was recording with them was, can you give me your personal definition of polyamory? And I got a sort of pretty big variety of answers from people. And I decided that that meant that as I was recording this episode, I was pretty much going to stick with my own answers for this. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of things that people said to start us off, and then I'm going to go into a sort of spiel that I have prepared for you. So one of the answers that I got from one of our guests from later in the season, Seva, is that polyamory is the ability to sustain multiple loving relationships, which may or may not be sexual, although hers tend to be. Another answer that I got from uh, Kimoda Tiger Lily, who we're going to see later in the season, is that polyamory is the freedom to allow all of the relationships in her life to progress in whatever way is the most natural to them, including romantic and sexual intimacy and that she doesn't restrict the relationships of the people who are in her life either, as well as not allowing the relationships that she's in to be restricted. And one of the people who I was talking to about this, who's normally one of the sort of most eloquent people I know, spent several minutes kind of stumbling over his answer because... Finding the exact words that he wanted to use was really challenging. And I'm going to directly quote here because so much of this answer was, in fact, just deciding what to say. And so Daniel said, For me, polyamory is multiple people interacting in a romantic or quasi-romantic way and... You know, there's probably a better way to put that. I was thinking about this, but there's got to be a better word that's less loaded than intimacy and that's different than relationships because we have relationships with our families and our friends. Romantic is as good a word as I've got, but, you know, you don't want aromantic people to think that we've forgotten them, I guess. So... Polyamory is having multiple partners of potentially varying degrees and intimacy status. So all of these definitions have in common that polyamory is non-monogamous, that polyamory has something to do with love, and that polyamory can, if you decide that it should, have something to do with sexual relationships. So, considering all of this, let's get into a sort of more direct and more concise 
way to discuss this. So what is polyamory? Polyamory is a made-up word that upsets classicists because it mixes Greek and Latin roots. It comes from poly, the Greek root for many, and amor, the Latin word for love. If we'd like to save the poor classicists, we'd need to be multiamorous rather than polyamorous, or we'd need to use one of the seven Greek words for love. We could be polyphilus, we could be polyeros, we could be polyagapis. I think we might have landed on the right word, despite making the classicists clutch their pearls. Polyamorous relationships can take many forms, all of which share in common the willingness to enter into multiple romantic relationships. Many, but not all of these, are also sexual, and some people include close friendships and chosen family in their personal definitions of polyamory. The term polyamory grew up out of communes in California in the 1970s, which interchangeably used polyamory and polyfidelity to try to define their relationships, and it first appeared in print in some writing by Morning Glory Ravenheart in 1990. It's the term that stuck. Social scientists use the term consensual non-monogamy for all of these relationships. This umbrella term covers everything from polyfidelitous triads that live together all the way to Dan Savage's very public sex-only monogamish relationships. It's any relationship that allows any degree of non-monogamy by agreement. Colloquially, some people use the term ethical non-monogamy instead, both because of the the positive connotations of the word ethical and because of the cultural importance of the book The Ethical Slut by Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy. This book introduced a generation of people to the idea that it was possible to love or sleep with more than one person in an open and honest way. Polyamory as a term is somewhat narrower than consensual non-monogamy and typically indicates a willingness of the individuals to engage in a romantic or emotionally intimate relationship with more than one partner. The most common question I and my polyamorous friends get asked is a knee-jerk, so it's just cheating? I mean, this depends how you define cheating, but almost certainly no. Cheating, for most people, means breaking the agreements you have with your partner about what is exclusive to your relationship. In monogamy, this includes sex for pretty much every relationship I'm aware of. In some relationships, it includes a whole spectrum of activities that are too romantic or too sexual. Lots of monogamous people would include kissing someone of the genders you're attracted to on that spectrum. I'm pretty sure everyone has at least one friend who can't hang out alone with a member of a gender they're attracted to without their partner getting upset. That's a couple with a very strict definition of cheating and a narrow definition of acceptable behavior. A lot is exclusive to that relationship. Most monogamous couples don't have big, detailed conversations about what is cheating until if or when something happens that feels like cheating to one of them. The cultural idea of cheating, of breaking assumed agreements, is built into the ideal of monogamy. So it's most people's reaction to the idea of a relationship that isn't traditional And it's the first question that most people get if they tell someone that they're polyamorous. 
Polyamory is more choose your own adventure. So, cheating is doing whatever you agreed you can't do. Dating someone else or having sex with someone else or forming a relationship with someone else is usually negotiated into polyamory. So it isn't cheating. But things that might still be cheating in polyamory, depending on a couple's agreements, include the failure to disclose pursuing a new romance, sex with another partner prior to disclosing sexual interest in them to their existing partners, sex without barriers with one of multiple partners without disclosing the change in risk factor to your previously existing partners, sex without barriers with multiple partners, doing an activity or going to a place that is being held exclusive in one relationship with another partner, or not following agreed-upon safer sex procedures in one way or another. For example, not getting a copy of test results, using barriers for some activities but not all, or not using barriers at all if those were agreements that you held. Obviously, that's not an, ex an exhaustive list, and the main point is to illustrate that cheating is breaking the rules, and that polyamory has different rules than monogamy, that you and your partners get to pick what your rules are going to be. In short, polyamory is a relationship style where all the participants consent to choosing their own adventure in multiple romantic relationships. So, that's what polyamory is. How did we get to today in the history of polyamory? There have been religiously based forms of non-monogamy, ethical and otherwise, since the dawn of time. Christopher Ryan and Casilda Jatha present a mostly scientific overview of this and of the social evolution of monogamy in humans in their 2010 book, Sex at Dawn. Some of their claims have been disproven in the decades since the book's release. Modern polyamory and modern polyamorous communities, as opposed to individually chosen group marriages that existed in mostly hidden manners or religious groups with beliefs regarding plural marriage, have their basis in the 60s and 70s and the so-called sexual revolution. Birth control pills becoming available made young people better able to experiment safely while dating instead of marrying young because of early pregnancies, and it led to a dating culture where monogamy was not assumed before it was discussed, and that's evolved into our modern hookup culture. The pill has also allowed married people not just to plan their families, but to plan extramarital encounters with less worry. Most people have heard of swinging, of couples with special understandings with each other, or of key parties where people took each other's wives home in the 70s before the specter of HIV and AIDS created a sort of great repression where average sexual norms swung back in a more strongly monogamous direction out of fear. You may also have heard of communes in the 60s and 70s that included open sexuality or group marriage. While most experiments in communal living did nothing non-traditional sexually, and many of those that did leaned towards celibacy or limited sexuality in some way, the minority of communes that endorsed free love or group marriage tend to be those that captured the public imagination, and some are those that evolved into the modern understanding of ethical non-monogamy and polyamory. The Sandstone and Carista Intentional Communities, both in California, both founded in the early 70s, operate in a manner that would be identifiable to most modern polyamorous as similar to their own relationship philosophies. Carista existed for 20 years, 
splitting up in 1991, and operated on a shared parenting, shared finances, chosen family model, with shifting consensual group romantic and sexual relationships between the adults, who numbered between 12 and 25 adults at different points over the two-decade history of the community. These relationships included periods where all the adults were connected to one another in a group or network, or where there were several divisions, but all the adults were connected to some variety of group relationship. They collectively operated a business that sustained the community and worked as a group to raise children and meet the emotional needs of the adults. The Caristan vision included a belief that economic, family, and romantic interdependence in communities rather than nuclear monogamous families, was the best way for the world to move forward and that they had a duty to share this vision with the world. Several shorter-lived communities spun off their vision and plans existed in the 70s and early 1980s. At the same time as these intentional communities came to exist, support groups and publications positively portraying polyamorous relationships began to crop up. Some of these were short-lived, and others lasted long enough to have an impact on the form of modern polyamory. One, inspired by Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, was Oberon Zell's Church of All Worlds. A member of this group, Morning Glory Zell Ravenheart, would coin the word word polyamory in print for the first time, rather than referring to these relationships as group relationships or group marriages. These groups and publications existed across the United States, Family Tree in Boston was one of the longer-running periodicals on the subject, and Family Synergy in Los Angeles was similar. And one, Polyfidelitis Educational Productions, rebranded as Loving More in the early 1990s and still publishes today. The language used around polyamorous relationships had not yet settled, but the concepts were becoming more understood and community building had begun. People living outside these intentional communities, but in non-traditional multi-person relationships, had ways available to them to see they weren't the only ones living this way, as groups and publications appeared in the late 70s and through the 80s. The 1972 book Open Marriage by Nina and George O'Neill brought swinging culture into the light, and there were a plethora of studies done by social scientists in the late 70s on swinging culture and habits that got a good deal of publicity. The HIV-AIDS crisis of the 1980s and the realization that this was sexually transmitted and that it was not a disease limited to gay men caused an overall culture shock and slide back into somewhat more Puritan social mores. A shift into, any sexual activity will give you a sexually transmitted disease so you shouldn't have sex at all, much less with multiple people, as the national discourse, slowed growth of a movement towards acceptance of open relationships and publicity of the same. In 1997, when the term polyamory had not yet caught on as the popular term, but people were beginning to try to swing the pendulum back toward the possibility of open relationships being more acceptable, Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy, then writing under the nom de plume Catherine List, released the first edition of The Ethical Slut. The original did not explicitly contain polyamory, but reflects on many of the tenets of honesty in running multiple concurrent relationships communication within relationships, and owning one's own needs even when asking partners for help within them that are a cornerstone of polyamorous relationships. It is sometimes considered the first popular book on modern polyamory, and its later editions directly address polyamory in added sections. The third edition, published 2017, includes the subtitle A Practical Guide to Polyamory, Open Relationship, and Other Freedoms in Sex and Love, 
as well as interviews with young polyamorists for modernizing context, along with the 20-year-old original text, written by women now in their 60s and 70s, who grew up in a very different environment. The ethical slut linked the open relationship movement to various sexual subcultures, notably the gay and lesbian communities and the BDSM community, in a way that affected the future intersection of those communities online. The internet made the biggest and fastest changes to create modern polyamory as we know it today. As with so many other niche interests, people found and were able to communicate with people who shared their interests, in this case, flavors of open relationship, at a speed never before imagined. The explosion of message boards, blog groups, and forums allowed people to find connections, friendships, new relationship options, people to debate with and build discourse with, with people near and far, and to realize there were enough other polyamorous people nearby to make in-person community possible. This internet discourse stabilized, though certainly not standardized, visit our glossary on the website to see how many variations there are of some terms, the words we use to describe ourselves and our relationship. Overlap with some of these online forums and in-person meetings with these other marginalized identities that the ethical slut drew into open relationship discourse created additional opportunities for community building and shaped some of the debate around terms that we use. Crowdfunding published one of the most successful books on polyamory in the last decade, More Than Two by Eve Rickert and Franklin Vaux, and online payment methods and crowdfunding sites like Patreon, Ko-Fi, Kickstarter, and GoFundMe have all been used to create or expand blogs, books, podcasts, and video channels exploring polyamory. Most recently, secret and private Facebook groups have become a space for people to be known to their local polyamorous communities and share information, experiences, and local events without either the relative anonymity of previous forums nor the public visibility of following or logged-in commenting on polyamorous items in a social network that may include work contacts or family members. Mainstream television shows and news outlets have begun to cover polyamory, and not always in a tabloid manner. Despite this, polyamory is not a protected status or trait. People can lose their jobs for being polyamorous, and many people's families are not understanding if they reveal that they're living a life that involves multiple loves. While it feels like we are on the edge of a kind of sea change about this, I recognize that I live in a liberal coastal area, and this is not the case everywhere in the country, no matter how many cable channels do bits on celebrities with open relationships, or how many articles with stock images of three feet under sheets as their lead image have been run. Humans may have been non-monogamous, depending on circumstances, since the dawn of time, but when you consider that polyamory is a specific variety of that, has only had 50 years to make cultural inroads, the progress toward the mainstream that has been made is amazing. So, in short, polyamory is a relationship style where people give themselves the freedom to make romantic, emotional connections with as many people as they'd like to, and it's connected under the larger umbrella of consensual non-monogamy, which can contain everything from monogamous relationships and swinging to relationship anarchy at the far end, uh, wherein people are deconstructing uh, the larger structures of 
sort of the sort of societal measurement of the importance of one type of relationship over another. And polyamory is kind of the middle ground of this, where instead it's simply that people are taking the right to build as many uh, romantic, social, sexual connections as they might like to. And often that means that polyamorous can uh, live in kind of liminal spaces where they overlap with either those swinging cultures or those relationship anarchist cultures, but there's no requirement that they do so on either end. And it also means that polyamory isn't right for absolutely everyone and that polyamory is a subculture that is growing within the larger cultural conversation. Recent studies have shown that polyamorous are between 4 and 5% of U.S. adults, which is a slightly larger percentage of people than uh, adults who identify as LGBTQ in the U.S., which is a much larger group of people than it had previously been thought we were. So this is not something that I'm saying to pressure anyone to become part of the polyamorous community, but it's something I'm saying to consider if you're someone whose family has... Uh, contains a person who has come out to them recently, for example, and you feel like you've never heard of this and it seems unbelievably weird or wild, um, it's not as weird as you think it is. <laughs> there are a lot of us. So with all of that said, um, I would love it if you listen to future episodes of the podcast. We are available pretty much anywhere that you look for podcasts now. Um, the blog is at www.readyforpolyamory.com. There is a Patreon at patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory. There's a Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com slash readyforpolyamory. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and would like to leave a tip, that's where. And uh, there are new episodes on Saturdays. So uh, have a great week. <laughs>